1: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, talking about how to get a financial fresh start. Uh, A couple of ways to do it. For a free consultation, the phone number is nice and easy to remember. It's 1-800-661-661. 3030, and to find an office near you. Now, we're talking about uh, consumer proposal. And the misconceptions. There's some myths about them. Stuff I mean Mm. this for some people this is a brand new concept. For a lot of folks, right? Yeah it is a brand new concept. The majority
2: of folks that I sit down with, they've never heard the term before, or maybe they've heard it but they don't know what it means. You know, I went to business school, I worked in you know one of the biggest accounting firms in, in in the country here, and I hadn't heard about a consumer proposal until about five years into practice when just, you know, by chance I saw, you know, a professional article explaining it. So, you know, if professional folks who are in finance don't know about consumer proposals, the odds are individuals don't know much or anything about them at all.
1: Right. All right. Well, let's sort of run through some of these myths and hopefully we'll we'll be able to answer uh, a whole bunch of questions or, or concerns or, or queries that you may have about them. First of all, consumer proposals, lengthy and costly.
2: Yeah. So let, let's talk first, you know, just level set. What is a consumer proposal? Sure, okay. and, and what a consumer proposal is, is it's meant to be a compromise. So it's meant to be a win-win between you and the people that you owe money to. So what happens when you make a consumer proposal and you can only do this through a licensed insolvency trustee, uh, is we have to figure out what can you reasonably afford to repay on your debts, okay? Because in a perfect world, your creditors want 100% of their money, and they want all the interest on top of that every single month until it's paid off, okay? And that's what
1: we're sort of, we're told, right? I mean, if you go into debt, you owe somebody this, that's what you got to pay them back, plus whatever interest you've agreed to.
2: So most people think, just as you said, Elaine, there's no option here, and and the consumer proposal is your option. So it's your option to say, you know what? I can't afford to pay all this back and I definitely can't afford to pay it back at 18% interest. So the way a proposal works is we figure out working with a trustee ourselves, what can you afford to pay back? Usually it's about 30% of the debt. And so not 100% or even close to it. Usually it's about 30%. And it's with no further costs, no further interest charges, nothing like that. And you pay it off over a period of time up to three to five years. So the first myth that a consumer proposal is lengthy and costly couldn't be more untrue. The lengthy and costly thing is to continue to pay the interest every month and never pay the debts off. Um, By law, a consumer proposal can only cost as much as you can afford. And obviously, if you can't afford to do a consumer proposal, if you owe a million dollars and you can't pay back a third of that, well, we get that. This isn't an option for you. But quite often, a consumer proposal is what you can afford, so it's not costly, and the length by law, the maximum term, is five years. So we're not talking the never-never plan here, and many people, they're able to pay off their proposals much sooner than five years. Our average duration is about three and a half, four years on a proposal.
1: Okay. Okay. They don't, and uh, let's define what a government debt is first, mm-hmm. and then I'll ask, and then I'll give you the myth, and then you can dispel it.
2: <laughs> yeah. So a government debt is anything you owe to the lovely folks who make this country a great place it is to live in. So things like student loans, um, income tax, you know, EI overpayments, perhaps, um, you know, some social benefit overpayments could be, but for the most part, it's income taxes and it's student loans.
1: Okay. Consumer proposals don't cover those kinds of debts. That's that's the myth that mm-hmm. we want to dispel.
2: Yeah, and Elaine, the number of folks I have who I'm sitting down and maybe I'm forty minutes into a consultation. I think I've worked out a solution here, and then you know, towards the end of the meeting they say, Oh, and I also owe the government, you know, twenty or thirty thousand dollars. But I know nobody can ever reduce government debt. There's nothing you guys can do with that. And I say, Nope, absolutely. We could do it six ways to Sunday. I can reduce government debt the same as every single other debt.
1: I think it's really important to repeat that because it's shocking to me. I remember when I heard that for the first time, especially like, you know, Canada Revenue. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, you think, you know, that that you're just done for, that you owe this, you owe this, you owe this, and the interest and whatever it is they tell you, you have to pay, you have to pay.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, every day I meet with folks who they've got, you know, an assessment from Canada Revenue Agency, maybe it's valid, maybe it's not accurate or not they could take 10 years and try to fight it in tax court and the government can afford far greater lawyers than anyone of us could afford. Right? Um, Or they can figure out that a consumer proposal takes away any special status for government debt. If you owe Visa $10,000 and you owe the government $10,000, they are treated exactly the same. The government doesn't get more of a vote on your proposal. They don't get the right to veto your proposal. If everybody else you owe money to is saying yes on the proposal, Quite often, the government is dragged along for the ride, and they can't say no.
1: Now, did you mention the percentage when you have a whole series of creditors out Mm -hmm. there? uh, What percentage is needed for this to be approved?
2: Right, and that's hugely important. So we don't need everybody to agree. So if you're trying to do something informally, if you're trying to say, hey, you know what, I can do this proposal thing myself. I'm going to phone up everybody that I owe money to. I'm going to say, hey, charge me no further interest and let me pay back 30%. I say, yeah, you can try it, but what if somebody, you know, if you've got 10 creditors, what if one of them won't play ball? you haven't solved your problem because that one creditor can still sue you, can still harass you, can do all these things to you. The great, the beauty of a proposal is that the law is structured that everybody wants this deal to get done. So all we need is 50% by dollar value, not a majority in number, just 50% by dollar value. So if you owed $20,000, as soon as I get $10,000 of that debt on side on the proposal, the proposal is automatically approved. The other 49% who may not like the proposal It's too bad, so sad. This is the way the law is structured, and the individual has the right to make a deal with at least 50% of the dollar value.
1: Really important piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, Consumer proposals are the same as credit counseling. Yeah. Pe- yeah, not really.
2: No, it, it's a really murky situation, right? If you see somebody advertising, you know, quite often they would say, you know, we're a not-for-profit charitable service, we're out, you know, in the community, we're a credit counselor, come and see us before you'd see a trustee, okay? And not to say you don't go and get advice from everybody out there, but make sure that you include a trustee um, basically in your, you know, sphere of people that you're going to talk to because only a trustee can do a consumer proposal. And a consumer proposal is night and day different to what a credit counselor can do. For you. What a credit counselor can do because they don't have the ability to use the law, so only a trustee can do a consumer proposal because that's basically in federal law, that's the role that can do it. If you're working with a credit counselor individually, they'll go and try to make deals to freeze interest, but that's it they can't reduce your debt. They can't bring you down to the 30% repayment, no interest, no charges, give you time to pay. Only a trustee can do that. So what a credit counselor will normally do is what's called a debt management plan. So it's kind of debt management plan versus a consumer proposal. Two big differences, and these are incredibly important to note. One is in a debt management plan, you have to pay back everything. 100% 100% of the debt maybe a freeze on interest, but that's it. Compared to a consumer proposal, often 30% repayment or thereabouts. The other big, really important thing is everyone's very concerned about their credit rating impact. And you would think if you do a credit counseling plan and you pay back everything, your credit report is going to be better than if you did a consumer proposal and you only paid back a third. You would be wrong. They're exactly the same.
1: Exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no, there's, there is no advantage. I can see no advantage at this
2: point. I can see no advantage either. So I would say to folks that, you know, with full information, if you are you know more than capable of paying back all the debts and you just need an interest freeze, that's when credit counseling can make sense for you. But keep in mind, if you go and see a credit counselor, they want to sell you a debt management plan. They might not make a proposal sound attractive. They might tell you things like, you know, there's upfront fees or different things like that definitely do your own research, talk to a trustee. Almost every case, when I've explained that to someone, they said, well, why would I ever choose this? And I said, well, yeah, you probably wouldn't. All you needed was the right information.
1: Now, since you brought it up, let's just cover off the fee structure too, because I think that's a really important piece of this because mm-hmm. folks listen and they go, oh, sounds too good to be true. If something yeah. sounds too good to be true, it probably is. But in fact, let's talk about the fee. So mm-hmm. I've come to you. I've got this huge debt. We do a consumer proposal. I've got it all figured out that uh, over the next two and a half or three and a half years, yep. I can pay off my big debt with a small amount or, or with a manageable amount of money right. I'm going to pay each month. How do you get paid?
2: Right. So do I charge you anything extra? No, is the answer. So, everything a trustee does as I said it's all governed by law and when you file a consumer proposal um, the trustee has to send that proposal out for voting and almost always it gets accepted so generally at the time of filing the proposal you make the first month's payment so if the proposal most proposals are you know two to four hundred dollars a month something like that you'd make a payment of two to four hundred dollars or so and then the trustee would send the proposal out to make sure it's approved so essentially we ask you if you say you can make this monthly payment you know on a five-year basis to pay this off make it once and we'll do the proposal for you. That That's it. No big upfront fees. If you hear somebody say a trustee won't even look at you until you pay $1,500, it's a lie, plain, or simple. plain and simple. We've never done that in 27 years of practice. And
1: because you're not allowed to. Right. The law governs what you can
2: charge. Oh, yeah. The law governs what you can charge. Trustees have some discretion, you know, to charge less, but could never charge more. Right. So, you know, even in my situations, if someone, you know, they've just had their wages seized, I had someone this morning, you know, had about $10 in the bank. They're in a very tough situation. I'm filing the proposal with no payment. I'm saying, you know what, we're going to get this thing approved. You're going to get paid in two weeks from now. Just pay me then. It'll all true up in the end. The person wants this proposal to work. I know they're going to pay it off in the end. So we will take a risk with the client as well. We'll take you know, one payment or even zero payments just to make sure we get a deal.
1: Right, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, now, same as bankruptcy, consumer proposals, What can we outline the differences?
2: Yeah, so they're both governed under federal law. They're both administered by trustees, but that's essentially where a lot of the similarities end. So first off, a consumer proposal is not a bankruptcy. So, you know, if you've ever been asked on a credit application or, you know, a rental application, have you ever filed for bankruptcy? If you file a consumer proposal, you can say no to that question every day of the week and, and be accurate so not a bankruptcy it does impact your credit but it's not as severe as what a bankruptcy would be again it's the same as if you did a credit counseling plan and paid everything off but you got a break on the interest you're making a negotiated reduced payment arrangement so not great for your credit but something you can absolutely recover for many people even while they're still in the proposal they find themselves getting offers if you know credit cards secured credit cards things like that you'll rebuild quicker than what you think
1: Right. And that answers the uh, the next myth that consumer proposals ruin your credit permanently. That's Mm -hmm. just not the case.
2: Absolutely not the case. What ruins your credit permanently is if you don't deal with the issue. If all you're doing is paying minimums forever, you know, you might have a fine credit rating, but what's that ever going to do for you? You know, most of the time people want to get a mortgage. And if you can't save a down payment because all your money is going to interest each month, well, then your credit rating isn't doing a whole lot for you.
1: I'd like you to sort of toot your own horn for just a minute as we wrap this up. Um, It's not just uh, the consumer proposal plan and and focus and that that you that you have with your clients when they walk in the door they get a little bit more than that too Mm -hmm. can we just talk about that as we wrap this up
2: yeah what, what I'm proud about at Sands & Associates is we treat everybody with respect with dignity with empathy we know that any of us could be on the other side of the table they're having a debt problem that they need help with so you know we try to solve as much of the problem as we can you know finances are sometimes just one piece of a bigger issue but you can guarantee that you'll feel respected you'll feel validated you won't feel judged when you come in to talk about a proposal. And if it's not the right option for you, you know, by law, I have to tell you that, hey, I don't think this is the right option for you. Here's some other resources that you can connect with. Um, Generally, people have a great experience in our consultations.
1: That's great. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin. You've been listening to Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get a financial fresh start. Uh, Easy to get a free consultation in any of their offices. 1-800-661-3030 is the number and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Shannon Sims is on the line right now. She's a professional member of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. Uh, She is a certified uh, counselor. She works with, uh, with folks, helping folks with mental health and addiction issues, has a specialty in problem gambling, and is also a qualified insolvency counselor and does a lot of work with Sands and Associates. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me today. Let's talk about problem gambling. Uh, I have a friend that I spent some time with uh, on Facebook this week who was uh, t- uh, sharing with all of his other friends that he was participating in a big uh, poker tournament in Las Vegas. And uh, uh, he's a pretty upstanding guy and has a great career and all that kind of stuff, but loves to play po- uh, play poker. Is is that a problem gambler, or is that somebody who's, who's doing it for fun?
0: Well, gambling is any experience of wagering or risking something of value on an unpredictable outcome, where those valuables may be won or lost. Any gambling behavior that compromises, disrupts, or damages personal, family, or work pursuits would be considered to have crossed over into the realm of a problem behavior.
1: Okay.
2: So it sounds like it's more on the impact um, necessarily than, than, than behavior. So if he's, you know, able to, to play his poker and be successful um, and there's not a negative impact, Shannon, that, that doesn't sound like it's a problem.
0: Right. So one of the things that we track are time, energy, money, consequences, and then other things people do for fun or entertainment. These are all some of the ways that we tap into whether it's becoming a problem or
1: not. So, if he's not doing anything else but going to work and then going to Vegas to gamble. Yes. You might want to look at that.
0: Right. (laughs) As well as if people are starting to think about gambling as a way to make money rather than as an opportunity, they expect to lose and hope to win. Um, it's an, an opportunity or a chance to win money. It should not be thought of as a way to make money. Mm. That's also a risk factor.
1: That's interesting. And uh, yeah, I've had a couple of experiences with folks in my uh, sort of, you know, circle. Uh, and one in particular had a very serious gambling issue, and it was all about making money. Like mm-hmm. there, was no, there was no fun involved. It was, yeah. I'm going to... I'm going to go for it, and this is how I'm going to do it. And, my gosh, it didn't end well. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Shannon. <laughs> but, you know, problem gambling, right? It's, it, right. it's devastating. It it's can be. devastating to families especially. Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: So is there a, a typical profile of, of someone that would be at risk of becoming a problem gambler, Shannon?
0: There's no typical profile of a person who's at risk um, the problem transcends age gender intelligence socio and economic status ethnicity. theoretically, anyone who gambles could potentially develop a problem with gambling. Um, the problem exists on a continuum, so there's different degrees or levels of severity. The key is catching it sooner rather than later in order to minimize the harm. There are common risk factors associated with the development of a problem with gambling, and there are also common motivations once it has become a problem. So, some of the risk factors—yeah,
1: talk about those. Yeah.
0: Availability or accessibility of gambling. Simply living near a gaming establishment can put someone at risk. Thinking about time online, online gambling available twenty four seven. That's it's a risk factor. the, The simple fact that it's available. Winning is also a risk factor for developing a problem. This sets the brain up with a rewarding and reinforcing experience that the brain then expects will happen routinely. So big wins create excitement, and small wins help to build tolerance and expectation. Um, Misunderstanding the odds, misunderstanding the concept of randomness, and independence of events. Um, For people in this particular group, anxiety or depression is a result of the gambling problem rather than a contributor. Then there are the people who have existing challenges with depression or anxiety, or they have a tendency to use escape as a preferred way of coping they may be susceptible to boredom um, or around the time gambling begins they may experience a stressful life event or a life transition like retirement divorce loss of a job or illness and have a lack of support at that time, for this group, their introduction to gambling often provides them with a way of coping with or escaping the negative moods, or it's providing them with exciting stimulation.
1: Okay, so everything you've said, the one thing you didn't say is that um, it's hereditary in any way. And, and we can, and we can I, mean, I mean, it's not, right? Well, there are genetic predispositions towards
0: the problem, um, but there is no direct or causal link. Uh, Just because it does show up in one family member doesn't mean necessarily that it will show up or manifest in another. But there is research that indicates there is a genetic predisposition, um, but it doesn't mean that you're predisposed, that you are guaranteed to manifest the problem yourself.
1: One thing, too, I th- I thought of when you were talking was the online gambling. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah. even have to leave my home. Right. It can be 2 in the morning, and I've got my laptop up. And all of a sudden, I have uh, a little persona on the screen. I'm actually sitting at the table with the other uh Personas. I'm yeah. trying to think of the the right word. <laughs> the to avatars. Dis- the avatars, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, the the folks that set up the online gambling situation, they are, they're counting on me uh, enjoying that aspect of actually sitting at a table, aren't they?
0: Yes. the 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 gambling is designed to entice people to remain engaged with it. Um, so there's lots of stimulation attached to gambling, visually, auditorily. Um, the brain loves the experience of um, the sensory experience of the gambling activity and the gambling environment.
1: It's really interesting and the awareness of gambling too. I mean, just even the whole lottery uh, situation, right? Yeah. And, and I never, you know, I hadn't thought about that for a long time. But, but that's part of this sure it
2: is. Now, Shannon, a lot of the clients that you and I have, have worked uh, together on, you know, they come in, they've got a, a gambling or, or money problems or things like that. They get counseling through a bankruptcy and a proposal, but they also get some specific gambling assistance as well. And I know if I'm sitting down with somebody, a couple of first questions are, have you self-excluded and have you gotten specific counseling? I wonder if you can talk um, briefly about the resources that are available. If someone's listening to this and saying, hey, that could be me. I've got some of these behaviors. What can they do to get help within the province of BC?
0: absolutely so the responsible the bc responsible in problem gambling program offers free counseling to individuals couples and families we run a variety of groups for additional support. The B.C. Lottery Corporation also has a voluntary self-exclusion program where individuals who want to take a break from their gambling can enlist the gaming establishment's help in preventing them from actually entering the premises. Um, there are online resources available. Our website, BC Problem Gambling. Sorry, bcresponsiblegambling.ca has a lot of helpful information about responsible and problem gambling. Problemgambling.ca has some helpful assessment tools and guides for people either experiencing the problem or family members who may be affected by the person who gambles. And there's online support for people who aren't ready to connect with a counsellor like gamtalk.org, which offers a live chat, a discussion forum, and stories of hope and is based in Canada.
1: Some some terrific resources out there. Uh, also, I want to throw in in terms of uh, a website if any of this information resonates with you. www.simscounseling.com. That's Shannon's website. She's a professional member of the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association. Uh, she also does counseling within the Sands and Associates uh, umbrella uh, for folks that are uh, are dealing with debt and debt issues. Part of that counseling team. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us. We we cover a lot of topics here every week on Dollars and Cents, from mistakes not to make when you're in debt to mapping out the mystery behind credit scores and reports and everything in between. We'd love your input as a listener on what financial related topics are important to you. Tell us what you want to learn more about send us an email to radio at sands-trustee.com. That's radio at sands-trustee.com. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scullin along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We've got Janet Humes on the line with us who's a debt management expert. Uh, For information, more information about Janet, you can check out uh, her bio on the website sands-trustee.com. She has a passion for helping uh, folks understand all the options to become debt-free and how to get your financial life back on track. Thank you, Janet. So much for joining us today. A pleasure to be here. So let's talk about what it's like being a debt management expert for 20 plus years. My gosh, the stories that you could tell. I do have a few, but it's allowed
3: me to meet with a lot of different people, a lot of people that probably under different circumstances I'd have been friends with, Um, and to help them see light at the end of the financial tunnel. Um, Sometimes it's challenging, but mostly it's very rewarding.
1: Now, you must, uh, with all the work that you've done for all all the years that you've done it, it's probably given you some perspectives on how folks are are doing these days. And and how are they doing these days?
3: Well, at any point in time, there's always a few people that are experiencing difficulties, um, even when times are good. Marital problems, illness, job loss, those are things that happen to anybody and we can only hope when they happen that they don't all occur at the same time but they're very common reasons for people to uh, seek help with their debts
2: yeah, I think that that's great for people to hear Janet and just as you were you were speaking some of your initial remarks you said you know we sit down with people that in, in other circumstances they could be your friends right and I think that's interesting and in that you know my experience has been it's all walks of life it's you can't really define that the type of a person um, that does a bankruptcy or, or a consumer proposal I'm curious your perspective on that
3: I agree you see people that various uh occupation levels that have had great deal of success in the past something may have happened one of the things that i've said to people is you know never judge because there but for a few paychecks a bit of health and luck could be almost any of us Mm -hmm. and that's what i'll tell people you know it's it's an opportunity to get overwhelming debt something that they just can't manage into something that they can manage and the most common thing that people say when they leave, is that they feel an enormous sense of relief Mm -hmm. because they've just been struggling with something that's been so difficult. And now we put it into something that they can manage.
1: One thing that I've realized over the months of doing this show, Janet, is that often from talking with people and, and listening to Blair talk about folks that he's had in his office and, and helped out with, the things that have taken them and put, sort of put them over the edge or put them into that really stressful place of trying to figure out how to manage their debts are things that come out of the blue. It's not. It's not a gambling debt. It's not uh, over overspending at the uh, at the department store. It's illness, possibly a, a death in the family. It's a job loss that you had no idea no idea that was coming.
3: And that's the case. One of the stories I will tell people is a couple I saw many many years ago. It was actually when I was in Ontario many years ago. And they both had very good jobs, um, but first one was, and they were a combined family, two kids of his, two kids of hers, and one of their own. So they were a large family. They had equity in their house. Um, The fellow lost, was laid off. Then the, the wife had an injury at work that stopped her from being able to do her job. And at the same time, there was a decline in the real estate market, so the equity that they thought they had in their house, they didn't have anymore. It was a series of events that could have happened to any one of us and that none of us would have expected to all happen at once. But the insolvency process helped them get to the other side of it and get on with their life.
2: Yeah. And if if you're facing someone in, in that situation, you know, I've been in those meetings where I can say to the person, I can't see anything you've done wrong here. <laughs> you know, you, you manage yourself and then suddenly something out of the blue really, really hit hit as a shock to the system. And, you know, I would say that's probably the majority of folks that that I see. It's not I can point to something really specific they did. It's, you know, life intervened, life had other plans. um, And almost to a person, they're just so pleased um, that these laws exist to give somebody a fresh start when there's, you know, very terrible debt to deal with. Uh, Janet, I was curious over your 20-year history of being a trustee, are there certain trends that you've seen come and go?
3: I would say a number of years ago, when proposals first came into existence for us to be able to do a, a debt proposal for an individual, mm-hmm. they were something that weren't used as much. Um, so I would, when
2: did that change?
3: That changed way back in the early 90s okay. that came into existence. So it took a while for proposals to be more recognized and recognized by creditors, but they're a well-used tool these days. I'd also say that over time, uh, debt being, credit being more available to people has resulted in us uh, seeing people with higher consumer debts than maybe we did a number of years ago. So the, the basics of it all are, are still not that different, mm-hmm. but perhaps the ease at which people have gotten credit has been a factor in w- what we see now today.
1: That's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up. We've talked about that over uh, in the past. And it's uh, something that we're, I feel as a consumer that we're inundated with we're constantly being either sent credit cards or asked uh, if we want credit cards or special checks mm-hmm. that will give us a certain amount of money right now and here's the interest rate but boy oh boy you can get this right now that must be a that must be a uh, have a huge impact on uh, on folks on their day to day especially ones that aren't making a huge amount of money or who have a lot of other uh, expenses to make is that what you've experienced Janet it is,
3: it is, and it, we're in a time where we don't use cash anymore. We don't mm-hmm. visibly see the money. Think of a six-year-old these days that only sees mummy swipe a <laughs> card to pay for things. The magic the con- card. <laughs> the magic card. The yeah. concept of money is very different. Um, where things have changed in our society, we, certain areas we live in, it's very expensive to live. We have... Uh, young adults living at home much longer, which puts a strain financially sometimes on their parents that they maybe don't realize. Um, we're seeing more people in their, well, shall I call senior years, who are having financial problems. Um, at one point, I always assumed that, you know, once a person was 60 or 65 or 70 years old, that their mortgage and all their debt would be paid, but that isn't the case. Mm-hmm. so it's a combination of many things. There are more families that are n- not a traditional family uh, more costs when a when a family does break up
1: interesting the uh, The other question I had sort of kicking around in the back of my mind was. Um, and we've talked touched on a little bit and I'd like to talk a little bit more about it is the behaviors of people, the difference between uh, how we behaved around money and and access to money 20 years ago to today. now you talked a little bit about it in terms of its the access we have to credit you know and the thought that I had was just tapping. Mm-hmm. I love tapping my credit card <laughs> right I don't have to put the pin in I don't have to do any of that. I just tap it and then toss it back in my wallet and my purchase is paid for, but gosh, that's an That's a that's that's got to wreak havoc for some folks.
3: Yes, it, it's rather interesting. Recently, it's come about that in talking with various people, discovered that some people say if they have cash in their pocket, it burns a hole, uh-huh. and others will say no, it's the debit card that burns a hole, and they can keep cash forever. So I think it just depends on which one is tempting for. The person, but just the fact that you can go and tap the money if you don't have the ability to keep track of it—it's not like spending real money,
1: right? Where you have to physically take out the cash out of your out of your wallet and count the twenty-dollar bills or or whatever. I so agree with you there,
3: personally. I find the actual pulling a 20 out of my wallet is a lot more real than tapping. Yeah, So, yeah. But other people have told
1: me it's the other way around. That's so, so interesting, eh? So interesting. Now, you talked about the, uh, the couple that you came across years ago that, that had a whole bunch of unforeseen situations come, ac- come to them, and then, the, then they got into a, a jam debt-wise. Have you got any other cases where there's folks that you've helped that really stick out for you? There are a few that really stick out in
3: my mind, and they're often the people that have been very, very receptive to the counseling that we have to provide, where learning about budgeting and keeping track of their money has truly been something that they were never taught. Um, so it's been new, and they've put heart and soul into it and really applied it and have come back and given very positive feedback that it has helped them, that they're good at it, their kids are helping with mm. it. Um, I was once crossing the street to go to my car, and a lady you know, spoke to me and thanked me very much, and she said, you changed my life. Oh, it was wow. a bankruptcy. So um, that's, you know, needless to say, very rewarding and um, makes me very happy to hear that it's been effective and the person has gotten on with their life and done very well.
1: I think you can add to Janet, um, the whole uh, debt counseling services that Sands and Associates offers their clients.
3: Yes, it's, you know, part of the process of what we do. It's there to help people, give them a few more tools to move forward with their financial lives, because, you know, whether we're good at it or not, money is something that we all have to live with and manage. If, if you've never been taught it, if it's a new thing, now it's, it's, we're never too late to learn and improve things. And a common comment, comment from people that I see is frequently that nobody taught them when they were kids. They will say that their parents had problems as well. So this is a chance to break the cycle.
1: I think it's a really good point. It's one it's one area that we don't get in our public school system. And I doubt we get it in our private school (laughs) system either, is that knowledge on how to budget and how to work with money definitely Janet Humes is a licensed insolvency trustee with Sands and associate uh, associates and she's from the Vancouver office or Vancouver Island office in Nanaimo and of course this show is uh, broadcast on the island as well so if anything you've heard that Janet's talked about or we've talked about with Janet resonates with you you'd like more information Janet's very available sands trusteecom is a good way a good place to start uh, to find her on, in the Nanaimo office if you just like general information, find an office near you. Very easy to do. Sands & Associates has a 1-800 number. It's 661-3030. 661 3030 You get a free consultation with that and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Kyla Gagnon is our uh, guest in this segment, internationally published fitness writer and personal trainer, uh, certified, of course, with the International Sports Science Association, based in Victoria. Uh, clients, uh, one of the beliefs that she that she imparts with her clients is train your hardest, eat your cleanest, breathe your deepest, and love yourself for doing it. But here's the deal. In this day and age, we've got a lot of expenses, people needing us and wanting us to spend money on all kinds of things and and have to. Sometimes fitness is one of those things that tends to fall off that track for folks. Uh, And that's what we're going to talk about with Kyla. Thank you so much for being here.
4: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: So tips and strategies for folks trying to keep fit while sticking to a budget. That sounds like a pretty daunting uh, (laughs) suggestion, Kyla.
4: Doesn't it? It's not. It's not daunting at all. Very doable.
1: Great. Well, let's talk about that. First of all, um, common benefits of exercise. What do you think they are?
4: There are so many, and I'm going to really quickly point form for for you. So um, first is your increase in muscular strength, bone density. It's going to help with our aging. Um, if we take a fall in our 70s and 80s, we want to have some strong muscles and bones that we don't break and fall apart, and we can get up and pick ourselves up and go on with the day. We want to be able to chase after our kids and our grandkids. Um, exercise is connected to a decrease in Alzheimer's and diabetes, um, two really important issues that lot of people are dealing with Um, it's also amazing for your mental health and uh, it just is it's like it's an immediate release of happy endorphins so it's really hard to leave an exercise session in a bad mood and so really for no other reason than to be happy (laughs) we've got to move our bodies
2: yeah, Kyla, I really I loved your point about mental health benefits of, of exercise, because we see yeah. it in our clients, and we, we survey them on a yearly basis. On our last survey, we asked about, you know, the mental and physical impacts of being in debt, and it's all consuming. Um, mm. So the clients that I've worked closely with, I can see when they've, you know, made fitness a part of their life and mm-hmm. you know, a part of their financial rehabilitation as well, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can help them, you know, clear the head, see the bigger picture. So there's definitely a lot of, you know, non-physical benefits to being active also.
4: Absolutely. And it's, it's- known, and I don't have the numbers, the statistics, but quote-unquote fit or active people, people who are taking care of their body, even with 30 minutes of exercise a day, um, have lower cases of anxiety and depression, and it really is super connected.
1: Have you had some clients that you've seen that directly uh, benefit Uh, Kyla over the years? A hundred percent. Someone
4: really close to me, actually, um, one of my very dearest friends and closest clients, very impacted by exercise.
1: Tell us more. That sounds interesting. Um,
4: So someone who, from an outside perspective, um, has it all, has a great job, has a great circle, a friend circle, a really good family relationship. um, Everything seems great, but suffers from these random bouts of depression and they're all encompassing. And whether it's um, financial stress of work, um, this person's in a job sort of based on commission, so there's no guarantee and that's a really stressful place to be. And it took her a while to get into exercise because when you're feeling really down and out for whatever reason, it can be really hard to say, Nope, let's go to the gym or let's go for a job. You don't wanna do it. But the more we would get her moving, it just it I watched the shift and it was probably six months later she actually said, You know what? I feel so much better when I'm exercising and I know that it maybe isn't gonna fix my finances, but it just sure fixes my state of mind and then I'm able to sort of look at my situation with a calmer mindset and then able to I'm able to work through things and so it wasn't just her finances but that's obviously what we're talking about right now it was other things and she just said it's an it's an obvious connection for me that my workouts and my mental health are like so tied together and that was really nice because it's someone who I felt very st- I still I mean she's a very dear friend of mine and it's really important her benefiting from not only the physical benefits of it, but also the mental benefits.
1: I know seasonal effectiveness disorder can impact folks as well quite a bit this time Mm -hmm. of the year in the winter months when things are a little darker than normal. Um, What sort of, have you got some, and I can't help, uh, and I know personally how much being outside regardless of the weather, uh, Mm -hmm. what benefits that has for me personally, just, you know, either being on a bike or hiking yeah. or whatever. Um, I'm sure you've seen that as well in your in your work.
4: Absolutely. And I mean, personally, I know myself, like nature is our best, um, you know, they say it's our best source of meditation and we're supposed to connect with nature. And oh my goodness, just stepping outside and we're so lucky that we live where we live. I mean, even in the snow and the rain and the winter, we can still be outside. It's not that bad here. And it is so powerful just being outside and taking in the fresh air and being with nature. As, as corny or cheesy as it sounds, it's so important.
1: Have you got some t- some a couple of tips for folks who are just thinking, oh, maybe she's right, maybe I do need to get outside?
4: <laughs> I would say find a buddy because that can sort of be, what I find for sure in my job is that we're, we're always the first to let ourselves down. So if you made a date with yourself that, okay, <laughs> Monday, Wednesday, and Friday after work, I'm gonna go for a 45 minute walk around my neighborhood. You're probably more likely gonna end up bailing on yourself. Whereas if you said, I'm gonna meet my best friend, Susan, and we're gonna walk Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're not gonna let Susan down and she's probably not gonna let you down. So I always suggest buddying up or finding someone who wants to join in on this with you and enjoy it with you and then you're less likely to say no.
1: Fair enough. What yeah. about if you're on a budget and you're wanting to uh, sort of do some different things that you haven't done before, because you may not want to be outside? What are some, some good ways to stretch your fitness budget or, or maybe uh, instigate one? Yeah, I always suggest,
4: um, again, buddying up or joining a team or joining a group. Now, this might not necessarily be outside, because a lot of groups, when it does get cold, we do take classes inside. I know I teach classes inside during the, the winter weather, but um, there are there are classes that you can join that are probably running outside. Rec centers are always running discount passes. So check in with a local rec center. You might be able to get like a 10 pass or way cheaper than you would have. And maybe you can join in with some of the classes there. Um, myself, I know that there's lots of other programs online that are going to be um, available for sort of download on your own computer. And you can do these at home for substantially less money than you would be paying. To visit with a trainer or a coach in person. Um, I also sort of really like the idea of I was driving through town the other day and we've got this amazing indoor rock climbing facility and it's just such a cool way to use your body without actually feeling like you're quote-unquote exercising and you know there's there's boot camp classes, there's yoga, there's spin, there's so many cool classes that our city offers and generally if you buy in a bundle you're going to get a deal
2: and Kyla, wondering, um, you know, that that's excellent um, overview of things that are available in the community. I've seen a lot of people, with, you know, different, um, you know, apparatus or equipment or things like that. I've seen a ton of people with, you know, Fitbits, activity trackers. Um, do you recommend or what what do you think is a good bang for the buck if you're going to invest in whether it's an activity tracker or some sort of, you know, fitness equipment? Um, the
4: Fitbit seems to be Amazing. I don't personally have one, but I have a ton of clients to do, and they're absolutely loving it. And I think you can actually sort of team up and create almost like walking challenges, and you can sort of track your steps with that and have a little challenge with your friends. So Fitbit seems to be really popular. I'm also a huge fan of resistance bands. Hmm. They're like four dollars. They range from sort of four to eight dollars, different resistance, and I take those when I'm traveling, and I create. You can, you can I can do everything. You can do a full body workout with these simple little bands and they're just super fun to use. Um another option is the it's the Cody app, C O D Y. Hmm. And it's an app and I have an iPhone, but you can get it on any smartphone, I'm quite positive. And it is all home based strength and yoga programs at your convenience. Like right on your phone or your iPad and that's that's a really
1: helpful tool I found as well. That's a great that's a great tip. Yeah. If you If you'd like more from Kyla, want to talk to her, find out more what she can do for you, her website, nice and easy to remember, it's kylafit.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton. Get a financial fresh start with Sands and Associates by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands & Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information.